Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune in to today's show. Breaking news, Sam Bankman-Fried, otherwise known as SBF, is charged. We'll look at what charges the former FTX CEO is facing after his arrest. Ram Aluwalia will join us live to discuss. I'm Nico Bruga. Ash Bennington is with me. How are you doing today, Ash? Oh, Nico, it's a it's a, moment, a momentous day here. Obviously, we were talking about this, the arrest of Sam Bankman-Fried last night uh, in the Bahamas, congressional testimony up on the Hill. We have DOJ unsealing the indictment. We have a CFTC complaint. We have an SEC complaint. This is just an enormous day. It's one of those moments where crypto just comes to the forefront, perhaps one of the biggest crypto news cycle days we've ever seen. Uh, this one is momentous. The whole world is watching, Nico. Very well said, and I can see it on my Twitter feed. All World Cup news has been pushed aside to be covering this, so definitely one of those days, and we're going to be covering it right now. But just a quick note, if you are watching us on the Real Vision website, thank you. And if you haven't signed up there yet, check it out at realvision.com backslash crypto. We have a ton of free crypto content there for you. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and hit that notification bell. Now let's jump right into the latest price action. Bitcoin has surged to nearly $18,000 before paring down. It's currently up around 4.5% on a 24-hour basis, and it shot up around the time the latest U.S. inflation data was released. You can see it in the chart here. The Consumer Price Index, otherwise known as CPI, came in at just 7.1% year-over-year in November. That's less than expected and the slowest pace of expansion since the end of 2021. Some investors are hoping this means the Fed might ease on the size and pace of its rate hikes. The expectation is we'll see a 50, point, or 50 basis point hike at the Fed meeting tomorrow. But don't get too excited about Bitcoin, says Goldman Sachs. The U.S. investment bank says gold will outperform Bitcoin in the long run. Ash, how's it looking over with Ethereum? Well, a little stronger on the Ether side in terms of percentages. ETH has crossed the $1,300 threshold. ETH is up some 6% on a 24-hour trailing basis, Nico. Thank you for that, Ash. One other token we're looking at is BNB. The native token of the crypto exchange Binance is among the biggest losers today. Coindesk reports data from Nansen showing that Binance saw more than eight, sorry, Binance saw more than $900 million in net outflows over the last 24 hours. That's about nine times more than the second exchange on the list. It follows concerns about its so-called proof of reserves, which we discussed on the show yesterday. So check it out if you haven't yet already. Now let's get into our top story. Founder and former CEO of FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, has been arrested and charged. Ash, many people were wondering when that might happen. And well, finally, here we are. Can you give us an outline of the charges, please? Yeah, absolutely, Nico. Obviously, a, a very eventful 24 hours, to put it mildly. Let's go through them. As you said, Sam Bankman-Fried was arrested in the Bahamas by local police on Monday evening. Here's a statement from the government of the Bahamas, as reported by the New York Times. Quote, SBF's arrest followed receipt of formal notification from the United States that it has filed criminal charges against SBF and is, un and is likely 
to request his extradition. In a separate statement, the Bahamian attorney general said that the country is expecting to receive an extradition request. The attorney general says that because the Bahamas has a treaty with the U.S., the request will be processed promptly. Sam Bankman-Fried is facing civil and criminal charges right now here in the United States. Nico, first, let's look at the criminal charges. Federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York just unsealed the indictment. SBF is facing eight charges right now, conspiracy to commit wire fraud and securities fraud, standalone charges of securities fraud and wires fraud, money laundering. He's also been charged with conspiracy to defraud the United States and campaign finance regulations. Separately, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission has officially announced it filed securities fraud charges. The SEC accuses SBF of misleading big investors and customers. The SEC chairman Gary Gensler said in a statement, quote, we allege that Sam Bankman-Fried built a house of cards on a foundation of deception while telling investors that it was one of the safest buildings in crypto. Close quote. The SEC's civil complaint alleges that Bankman Fried, quote, was orchestrating a massive years long fraud, diverting billions of dollars of the trading platform's customers' funds for his own personal benefit and to help grow his crypto empire. Close quote. Additionally, Nico, and this is important, the CFTC, Commodities Futures Trading Commission, has also filed suit from the CFTC documents. Quote, at Bankman Fried's direction, FTX executives created features in the underlying code for FTX that allowed Alameda to make and maintain an essentially unlimited line of credit on FTX. This is obviously talking about computer code. FTX trading executives also created other exceptions to FTX's standard processes that allowed Alameda to have an unfair advantage when transacting on the platform, including quicker execution times and an exemption from the platform's distinctive auto liquidation risk management process. It then goes on to say that Alameda used FTX funds, including customer funds. Additionally, it goes on to say that FTX made quote, poorly documented loans from Alameda that they used to purchase luxury real estate and property, make political donations, and for other unauthorized uses. Obviously, this whole panoply uh, of wrongdoing that we see alleged here uh, in the criminal complaint, in the civil complaints uh, by CFTC and SEC, both are things that we've heard before. But here it is in black and white from federal prosecutors on the DOJ side, uh, and also obviously from CFTC and SEC on the civil side. This is it. This is all official now. Uh, one more thing that's noteworthy in the New York Times reporting. It said the speed with which charges were brought against, S uh, against SBF, of course, indicates that prosecutors and regulators have cooperating witnesses. This is an important point. It has not yet been confirmed, but that's what the New York Times is reporting. The timing of the arrest is also notable. SBF had been scheduled to take part in congressional hearings on FTX today, this morning. Uh, he had told Maxine Waters, the chairwoman of the House Financial Services Committee, that he was willing to testify. The hearing went ahead. It's, in fact, going ahead right now without SBF's involvement. I don't know if you can see the reflection, but I've got it going on the left side of my screen here. Maybe I can sneak a look at some of the captions. Uh, Representative Waters said in a statement, quote, the American public deserves to hear directly from Mr. Bankman Freed about the actions that we've that have harmed over one million people. The public has been waiting eagerly to get these answers under oath before Congress. And the timing of this arrest denies the public this opportunity. Close quote. Obviously, Nico, it's just a massive amount we've got going on this morning. Absolutely. And so much to unpack here. And before we get in, uh, get our guest in to help us unpack this, Ash, I know I want to and the audience wants to hear. What are your thoughts on all of this? I mean, obviously, it's just a ton going on. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's an extraordinary, extraordinary day, one that we'll look back on for decades. I think this is a, a red letter date in crypto history here on uh, on Tuesday, December 13, 2022. Uh, obviously, many people, many people, as uh, as Congresswoman Waters points out, have been hurt by this. Uh, this is a moment where uh, folks uh, who have lost money, who have had funds frozen, who have not been able to access uh, their own hard-earned money that they thought that they were investing, that it now appears, appears, uh, you know, essentially was no longer segregated from Sam Bankman-Fried's own hedge fund, Alameda, uh, at FTX. Look, th this is a, a day that is 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 important because people are starting to get answers. Until now, we've just heard rumors. This is a moment where we're hearing actually from DOJ uh, in the form of the unsealed indictments. Uh, it's a moment we're hearing from SEC. It's a moment we're hearing from CFTC. And extraordinary that it's just all happening on one morning. The arrest last night, uh, the DOJ indictment being unsealed, CFTC and SEC complaints being released. And then, of course, congressional testimony. It's just it's just a massive, massive day, uh, sort of by, by any measure. I, I should also point out one other thing on an unrelated topic here, uh, but obviously has an impact on price action. Uh, but on any other day, this would, would have been a massive story. Uh, CPI out today, consumer price index, CPI moderating today, uh, broadly pushing risk asset prices higher, of course, including crypto, as we covered uh, earlier in the show on the price update. I'm just going to go and do this on the fly. I'm looking at a table here in front of me. Uh, so on a month-over-month -month basis, the actual CPI number came out at 0.1% month-over-month increase. Uh, the prior on this was 0.4. The consensus was 0.3. The consensus range was 0.2 to 0. 0.5. So what we have here uh, is a number that came out below consensus, below prior and below consensus range. Same thing when we look at the year-over-year -year figures, the actual on year-over-year -year CPI uh, for November 2022, 7.1%. Prior 7.7, obviously below. Consensus 7.3. And once again, below consensus range, which came in at 7.2 uh, to 7.6. Uh, that would be the lead story on any other day but today. Obviously, today uh, we have this whole world is watching moment. Uh, it's it's an extraordinary one, Nico. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Very well said, Ash, and thank you for that. So let's bring in our guest now. Ram Aluwalia is the CEO and co-founder of Lumida Wealth Management. Welcome to Real Vision, Ram. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to pop over to the back, listen in on this fascinating conversation, and I'll be back with some key takeaways or some breaking news if there is some. Otherwise, Ash, take it away. Thanks, Nico. Ram, welcome to the show. Incredible to have you here with us. I've been following you on Twitter. You've had some really deep things to say about this space. Obviously, you're someone uh, who has a very long uh, background in capital markets. It's great to have you with us here today. Thank you for having me, Ash. Appreciate it. So I said earlier, this is this is a huge day. You know, uh, all of the reasons that we just mentioned, fast moving, lots of breaking news. I think there's an ambulance going by outside my apartment right now. I apologize for that. But listen, let me ask you this. Uh, what do you make of all this news flow? How do you contextualize it? How do you think about where we are right now, Ram, big picture? So first off, justice works. This is fast and swift, as has been reported. Uh, I think there are a lot of questions around whether the political contributions might have uh, 
cause some kind of delay or suspension of justice. That's not the case here. The rule of law still works in the United States. The fact that Sam was domiciled in the Bahamas did not matter. Uh, so I think that's one takeaway. Uh, the second is that institutions are being tested. Exchanges are being tested, particularly those that are international and that are not subject to US law. Uh, and I think you're seeing testing of other institutions and other exchanges uh, as well. Uh, but overall, like I, I think it's a good day for crypto because you want to see rule of law. You do want to see justices carried out. You do want to see public confidence in exchanges. Yeah. Um, obviously, we should say uh, innocent until proven guilty. Uh, Mr. Bankman-Fried has now been charged but not convicted of any crime, uh, nor has he been convicted of any civil offenses. Obviously, this is something that we're going to be watching here uh, very closely. But I want to highlight some of the key points uh, here, Ram. I'm just going to throw these out to you in no particular order. Things I was shouting down this morning, things I was thinking about, uh, some of the allegations here. Uh, against Mr. Bankman-Fried that are in the indictment, uh, some of which are in the civil complaints, uh, effectively, and some of which came out in the testimony. Mr. Ray, uh, John Ray, the new CEO of FTX on the Hill uh, this morning, as we said, before the uh, House Financial Services Committee. Just some points that uh, have been thrown out uh, by the Congress persons and uh, additionally in the complaints. So FTX had no independent board of directors. We had personal loans uh, being given from the company uh, to the uh, executives of the company with very poor documentation. Uh, we had customer funds allegedly, again, these are all allegations, uh, allegedly not being segregated from the funds of the uh, of the trading entity, FTX, the, the hedge fund. Uh, no real governance in place, uh, from what I understand, uh, based on the testimony we heard today. You know, for example, Mr. Ray uh, was saying that they were using QuickBooks. QuickBooks, if you have a small business at home, uh, you know, if your kid is mowing lawns and you're trying to teach him about how to do accounting, you maybe start them out on QuickBooks. Look, th this is pretty extraordinary that there were no corporate controls in place. They were using Slack, uh, apparently, to approve uh, these very large uh, transactions, real estate purchases, transfers of money, uh, you know, some other points, no real financial reporting in the terms that uh, people are used to seeing from large financial institutions. Uh, and finally, one additional point, the holding of so-called SAM coins uh, on the balance sheet as assets. You know, what do you make of this just frankly stunning uh, array of allegations? And they are just allegations at this point. Well, it wasn't uh, a real, I think it's a great summary, Ash. First off, it doesn't look like FTX had a real business. It does look like it was a fraud that started well before this year. It preceded Luna. It preceded Three Harris Capital. It preceded the widening in discounts. And the reason why that's remarkable, you know, for those that saw the George Stephanopoulos interview with SBF, there's a moment where SBF draws a contrast between him and Bernie Madoff. And he says, well, look, we have a real business. Everything you just said and other claims in the complaint prove that that's not the case. FTX didn't have a business. Additionally, the SEC in their complaint leads with securities fraud against who? The VC investors. So uh, my view and my, my tweet thread uh, from a few weeks ago was claiming that this fraud pre preceded this year, which was a novel take. The SEC is saying it started day one. <laughs> so the SEC is saying it started with uh, defrauding their investors. And Ash, I do want to add a few points to call it like indicia of fraud, and you identified several of them, lack of controls. You know, in addition, FTX had no CFO, one. No VC led the last round. It was a party round. No VC led the terms of the round. They were relying on each other, it seems, for due diligence. Of course, they were based in the Bahamas, which meant that they were not subject to the segregation of duties 
which is the law of the land in the US. We can get into that if you want as well. There were also senior management exits. That's a red flag if you're an auditor. Again, recall that Sam Trabuco left uh, Alameda over the summer uh, and Brett Harrison the, left. Yeah, I, Brett Harrison, of course, was the CEO of FTX US and Sam Trabuco uh, was the co-CEO uh, along with uh, Caroline Ellison over at Alameda. That's correct. I think there are additional indicia of fraud, which you identified. If you kind of zoom out, obviously hindsight's 2020, you can see that there was a deliberate, uh, what appears to be a deliberate attempt to uh, uh, obfuscate controls and transparency. You know, FTX, FTX US seemingly had controls. They're uh, seemingly abiding by US law. We'll learn more. It seems like FTX Japan was doing that as well. But an in, in, in FTX International, uh, the SEC complaint also describes how Alameda was a beneficiary of self-dealing, meaning there's a non-liquidation uh, uh, feature uh, that it baked into the code that's uh, uh, inappropriate. There was also uh, credit balances to uh, Alameda. They couldn't uh, be margin called as well. They could tap customer funds. So it's uh, you know, the other thing that's telling for, about Rob, the SEC just complaint, Before we uh, move on to the next yeah. point, I, I want to unpack that for sure. folks who may not have uh, as much capital markets experience as you do. Uh, give us a sense sure. of the significance effectively of what happens when you have an exchange uh, with one sort of privileged counterparty, uh, effectively a hedge fund associated uh, with the same ownership that essentially has, it sounds based on what I read there from CFTC and the points that you just made, uh, an advantage in trading in terms of non-liquidation, in terms of execution times, in terms of speed. I mean, that's a pretty serious allegation. Talk a little bit about what yeah. that means and why it's an advantage. It's a dramatic conflict of interest. And let me set up a contrast with the United States securities law framework. So you've got Robinhood, where you get $0 fee transactions. Robinhood is the app where you can buy and sell securities. They're your broker. And they execute trades at some exchange that's behind the scenes. Uh, and they also and they are able to cross order flow or meet the buying and selling demand of their customers by working with Citadel, who's a market maker. And of course, you know, there's a payment for order flow. So Citadel will pay Robinhood some fees and therefore Robinhood uh, can offer $0 stock trades to run their business. But the key idea here in the US is that there is a distinction between being a broker, which is where you go to buy and sell a stock versus an exchange which is the regulated venue where the buying and selling across brokers takes place, including HFT traders, where the exchanges are required to hold deposits one for one and be capitalized. And yet another distinction with the custodian, uh, an right. example in the US would be State Street or Pershing or Charles Schwab as a custodian, as distinct from Charles Schwab as a broker, which is a distinct legal entity. Right. So in FTX, all of these were commingled. Uh, and the reason why it's an issue is because what FTX was doing was creating really a gift for Alameda. What is that gift? It's access, privileged access to proprietary order flow to trade against the customers using that unique data. Now, I claim that they did not make money even on that business, perhaps initially, but they were subject to competition with new players entering the market, number one. And number two, uh, the perks, the derivative products that they offered on their platform, they were being front run by their own customers. So metaphorically, think of 
FTX Global as the house. So the casino, on average, they're going to make money combined with Alameda doing the market making 51% of times off of hundreds of thousands of transactions in a day. They should make money every day, but that house became a negative expected value proposition for the house because they were handing away arbitrage opportunities. They're handing away economic value to their smarter, more nimbler customers. And that incompetence then led to fraud, crossing the line, tapping customer funds and self-dealing. Yeah, I mean, so so many great points you've just made there. And as we as we detail these allegations, which is what they are at this point now, uh, here in these indictments and complaints. Uh, but look, you know, I, I was struck by two things that you said, and they're, they're thoughts that I've had uh, that I've sort of worked through on my own on this, which is this idea of this this kind of compression into a single entity that we just don't see in uh, well, what people in crypto call TradFi, what we would probably call capital markets. Uh, this idea we call FTX an exchange, but if you think about all the businesses that it spanned, it was it was an exchange or a de facto exchange. Uh, it was a hedge fund in the form of Alameda. It was a custody agent uh, in the, you know, as you said, that might stay State Street or someone else might play that role on Wall Street. Uh, additionally, it was an investment bank. Uh, it was a it was a broker dealer. It was a quant shop. I mean, it was everything. And and what we see here is, you know, I, just broadly, you know, the, the promise of this technology, uh, and it's obviously we're talking about a lot here of big picture issues, but the promise of this technology is about decentralization and transparency. And what we got here frankly, it was the worst of both worlds based on what we've read in terms of allegations. You have uh, no centralized control, you have no regulatory oversight, and you have absolutely nothing in the way of decentralized uh, trustlessness or transparency. Ash, you, you really nailed it. I would add to that, they were also uh, a swaps dealer uh, and they were a non-bank pretending to be a bank. I don't think we've ever seen a Frankenstein institution like this. Uh, and I think one of the lessons learned is that the U.S. regulatory framework in broad brushstrokes works. Are there opportunities to refine securities laws and tailor them to crypto? Yes, but in broad brushstrokes, there's a, there's a reason why this fraud took place uh, overseas. Hey, everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah. Um, you know, one other point, and this is just an observation. When I was watching uh, Mr. Ray testifying this morning, uh, I was struck by what, you know, he described, uh, and maybe this is my characterization of his description, uh, but in addition to the allegations of fraud, it strikes, uh, I think, the listeners who were listening to uh, Mr. Ray as a, as a feat of stunning incompetence. I mean, this was just they had absolutely no controls in place. It sounded like, and I believe he said uh, that these were individuals who weren't sophisticated. It sounded like the management team, based on, this is my interpretation of what I heard, had absolutely no idea what the hell they were doing. My contention is that that was a feature, not a bug from the designs and plans of SBF. They were committing fraud. They built the product, uh, they marketed to customers, they hired people, 
but they never really had a viable business. They had a negative unit economics business model. Mm. And so they crossed the line and tapped customer funds. So I think what John Ray is rightly pointing out is the lack of systems and controls. My contention is that that was deliberate. It was a part of how they were running their operation uh, you know, as a fraud. Well, you know, first of those allegations of fraud, again, uh, he has not been convicted yet. These are just allegations that right. are being made in a criminal complaint in the SEC and at CFTC complaint. Uh, but, uh, you know, if this if this were a fraud, and we don't yet know that, there's evidence that certainly suggests it, but if this were a fraud, how on earth could anyone expect uh, not to get caught based on the the, the stunning level of incompetence uh, that Mr. Ray seemed to describe today in his testimony before the House? That's a good question for SBF. Uh, I don't know if he'll presenting today at Congress. Um, you know, I, I don't know, but clearly you can see in their history that uh, by Caroline Ellison, the co-CEO of Alameda, they have shifted their strategy. She acknowledges that Sam shifted from making spread and market making to taking uh, riskier, more directional bets. That's one. Second, you can see that they lost a billion dollars according to public reporting uh, on mobile coin. Uh, and third, they started venturing to these other offerings like venture capital. So uh, what reveals this fraud, as with all businesses that are insolvent, is when you have a bank run. You can be insolvent, but still be liquid. And so what happened was there was a loss of confidence. People said, look, uh, I want my funds back. And ultimately, FTX was not able to deliver those funds. They had to stop withdrawals, uh, and the fraud was exposed. Yeah. Talking of which, uh, you have a, a Twitter thread here uh, that I read the other evening uh, that begins with the phrase, how do we explain FTX's $10 billion in losses? Uh, give us the thumbnail sketch. Walk us through that. How do you analyze this? I know you have a thesis here. Uh, unpack it for us. You bet. So first off, my claim is that they had a negative view in the economics of business. They were, meaning they were losing money on average in were their they, Were they making it up on volume? <laughs> exactly right. That's the right question. So the faster they grew, the more money they lost. <laughs> right? right. So, and here's another, you know, interesting. I was talking to my, my friends trading crypto, the same strategy that you apply on Coinbase would be not profitable. It doesn't work. You apply it at FTX and it starts making money. So the term of our industry is VIG. Like what, what exchange has the most VIG? It was FTX. So my interpretation was that the quotation of bid and ask at FTX was lagged, which means that the bid ask price that they're offering the market is subject to getting picked off by faster, more nimble players like a jump or a Wintermute. And there's on-chain data you can look at online that shows that Wintermute and others fleeced uh, FTX. But it gets it gets worse than that. So here's some another data. This is another thread that I saw online. Again, someone needs to go, you know, validate, you know, through a due process here. But again, it goes back to the perp. So you recall back in 2018, uh, SBF described his desire to build, you know, perpetual swaps, and they were a leader in perps. Of course, perps at in the last few years were the dominant form of taking on exposure to crypto. But you know, when you with, offer, and with it's important to 
actually, could you give us a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of those perpetual swaps and how they lent themselves uh, to exposure to leverage in addition to exposure to the underlying assets? You bet. Let me define it first. So a perp is an unclear derivative that gets you a notional exposure to some reference asset. Okay, what the heck does that mean? So if you want to get long Bitcoin, you can get long Bitcoin by purchasing the commodity outright. It's a cash market transaction. Or you can get long Bitcoin through a derivative transaction. That means you're buying a contract. It's a contract. The counter to the party to that contract is FTX. They're an exchange. So there's an, an implicit bet, not just on the price of Bitcoin, but the solvency of that exchange. And what the exchange seeks to do is have a net zero, net zero exposure to those contracts by finding another side to every transaction. And that never happens at an exchange because you need simultaneous buys and sell on price, size, and quantity at the exact same time. So they need Alameda as a market maker. But here's the issue. When you publish your derivative contract, you've got to disclose to the market how that contract works. How often do you rebalance? What's your reference index? And when you publish that to the market, if you're a smart arbitrager or hedge fund, you can reverse engineer all the calculations that FTX is doing and front run the rebalance by 10 minutes on an Excel spreadsheet. You don't even need co-located high frequency trading setups. And apparently that's what happened. There's one trader who, who claims a 5,000% return and FTX took, took action to limit the size of these trading. So clearly they were responding, but they could never get a profitable business. They never really had a business here. What does that mean when you say they've never really had a business here? They never had a viable business model. Their unit economics, meaning the variable uh, profits on their transactions were negative. So as you said, you can't outgrow that. <laughs> <laughs> they're supposed to get smaller. And meanwhile, they're sponsoring FTX and Super Bowl ads, and they're getting celebrity endorsements, and they're growing because of the of the VIG or the, uh, the value that they're delivering to these smarter arbitragers because they have a platform with a faulty design feature. So you know, they, uh, they had a bad product. They never, they never actually delivered a commercially viable business, and that incompetency led them to cross the line and commit fraud and tap customer funds. Yeah, again, what we should say uh, allegations at this point, uh, but that certainly is what uh, CFTC, SEC, and DOJ are about to set out to prove in their court cases that are about to be uh, pending upon this. You know, Ron, we've talked a lot uh, sort of in the weeds. This has been great information for people who have backgrounds in capital markets who are trying to sort through this. Uh, for folks who are relatively new to capital markets who are just trying to get their heads around this, how would you break this down for them? How would you explain it in the simplest possible language? Sure. I'll say FTX was a combination of a broker, an exchange, a clearinghouse, is an investment bank. There were no checks and balances. There was no oversight. There was no independent control. There was no CFO. There was no adult in the room. There was, uh, they were an offshore exchange. They raised the VC money in a hot market with no lead VC, uh, you know, in a deal with other VCs that were betting on this kind of psychology momentum and the, you know, idolatry around around SBF. Uh, 
I think, Ash, your description is, is very good too. I think you're opening there, but I, you know, if there's any more to add there, feel free to go for it. I want to switch gears here uh, and talk a little bit more broadly about the space. Uh, as we, I think we pointed out earlier, this is not something that's begun in isolation. Obviously, this is something that began with the Terra Luna ecosystem meltdown in May, uh, followed through with Three Arrows Capital. Uh, this has just been the latest domino to drop, so to speak, uh, in the crypto space. I want to talk a little bit about the speculation right now, uh, and it is just that around Genesis, uh, which is, uh, of course, uh, owned by DCG, a digital currency group company. Uh, DCG also owns Coindesk. Additionally, they own Grayscale Investments, which owns the Grayscale GBTC, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Uh, a lot of interlinkages here. Uh, the reporting has been out of the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere uh, that they have a very large hole on their balance sheet. I believe the Financial Times reported that they had a $900 million hole in their balance sheet in essence. Uh, and that Coindesk then followed up that reporting saying that that only represented one of three classes of creditors, that there was actually uh, $1.8 billion uh, of exposure on the balance sheet uh, within a third class of creditors of unknown uh, exposure. So some very large numbers that we're hearing. Contextualize it. Tell us what that means. Sure. Let me frame it up for you. So first off, the uh, creditors you described are on the Genesis balance sheet, right? And Genesis is a wholly owned, as you pointed out, subsidiary of DCG, which is a storied institution. And up until this year, uh, I believe it was the most profitable crypto company globally, more profitable than Coinbase, of course, which is not profitable. So Genesis was a non-bank acting as a bank, providing prime brokerage services. Let me unpack that a little bit. So what does a bank do? A bank takes in deposits. They take in short-term deposits. You can demand those deposits back whenever you want. So those deposits are liquid. They were taking in short-term liquid deposits. They're borrowing from those depositors. Then they turn around and make a loan. They're making commercial loans to hedge funds like Three Euros Capital and Alameda. What are those hedge funds doing? Well, we know from the bankruptcy docs that Three Euros Capital was doing a carry trade. We can get into that. But essentially, they're borrowing to buy GBTC, which was trading at a substantial discount to fair value. Yeah. Now it's got a discount almost 50%. At the time, it was around a 20% discount. And, and three years capital is betting that that spread would tighten and close. So what happens now is you've got a defaulted loan from three years capital to the tune of $2.6 billion. That creates an immediate insolvency issue for Genesis lending. And I believe they and, were the largest creditor of 3AC, uh, according to reporting from uh, the FT, the single largest creditor of Genesis. That's what I've read as well. And Genesis Lending is the largest global crypto prime brokerage, the largest provider of lending. Yeah. Uh, and so now DCG and, has to make a decision. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, in fact, uh, as you say, a very large, uh, a very large prime broker, and that filtered through. We had other impacts from that. For example, Gemini, notoriously confused with Genesis, this is the Winklevoss yes. uh, brothers' yes. uh, shop, had to halt lending on their halt redemptions on their earned product as a consequence of the Genesis uh, suspension of redemptions as well. Yeah, there, there are a couple of components going on here. Exactly right. So Gemini uh, created a program called Gemini Earn, which is again a non-bank deposit account and retail investors and high net worth investors and asset managers funded that account 
And those depositors were taking credit risk. It's not clear from the terms and conditions whether they're secured or unsecured credit risk. That matters, of course, in terms of the priority of claims and bankruptcy. They were taking credit risk on Genesis, who is making loans to hedge funds, and those bets didn't work out. And some of those bets were to go by GBTC, which was issued by a sister company called Grayscale. And it's better. BCG plowed back the tremendous, at the time, revenue-generating power of Grayscale to the tune of $780 million to buy what? GBTC. So taking the revenue from this cash cow, Grayscale, they're buying GBTC. So they're making the same trade Thero's Capital's doing, and the subsidiary of Genesis is funding the Thero's Capital trade. So they're all believing each other on the same trade. So taking a step back, what is DCG? DCG, against a storied institution, these are lawful actors, very smart operators, uh, but they're making a levered bet on the price of Bitcoin. That bet is levered uh, both through Genesis and operating leverage in terms of the business model. Uh, and so DCG's fortunes are tied to the price of Bitcoin. Why is that? Because Grayscale's the crown jewel asset of DCG. Grayscale, in the, in the last quarter, if you multiply by four to annualize run rate revenue, you get about 250 million in run rate revenue, not earnings. At its peak, the revenue was around quadruple of that. So the, the earnings and revenue generating power of Grayscale rises and falls in lockstep with Bitcoin. So DCG uh, is in a bind because they have claims from multiple parties. One is their subsidiary, Genesis, who has two loans, one of which is payable in May, $575 million cash due. Hard to find that cash. Second, Gemini Earn, Purepoint Ash, reportedly $800 million to retail investors. If retail investors aren't made whole, that's an issue, and they can find it, file a notice of default on Genesis. Uh, and third, there's a claim by Eldridge. Uh, they've got a credit facility who's also owed a couple hundred million dollars. So the question now is, what's DCG's net equity position, and how do they get out of this mess? Do they raise equity? Uh, do they do a prepackage? They're trying to do an out-of-court workout to negotiate better terms with creditors, but the clock is on them. Yeah. I would just add a, a couple of points. First, uh, this is uh, many of the much of this uh, content that we just described here is based on the available reporting uh, coming out of outlets like the Wall Street Journal uh, and the FT. Obviously, there's some degree of uncertainty about some of this reporting uh, because we haven't seen documents being filed formally uh, yet on some of this stuff. So it's an important disclosure to make. Uh, second, uh, there is interesting uh, reporting coming out of the FT, essentially that there have been loans being made between entities at DCG, so that the cross-exposure uh, between, for example, uh, the uh, the Grayscale uh, fully-owned subsidiary uh, and Genesis to the parent company, the portfolio company, and the holding company uh, seems to be uh, creating a little bit of... Uh, well, let's just say a lack of clarity around the transparency around some of these issues. And again, the reporting is limited. Uh, I also want to show something on screen right now. Uh, this is the GBTC premium or discount to net asset value chart. Uh, and what you see when you look at this chart is that it has reached an all-time low here today, as you said, uh, Rom, nearly 50%. Uh, percent. It's, uh, it's, it's trading right now at about... Uh, 
48, uh, 48 spot 23 on this chart. Uh, so it's essentially what that means is uh, you can buy, uh, you know, you can buy, uh, you can buy a dollar's worth of assets for uh, for 51 cents. Uh, that gives you some sense of the market confidence uh, right now in, uh, you know, fo folks in terms of who want to invest in this product and what they think the expected return is. Right. Three, three quick reactions. First off, DCG published a letter to shareholders, which is public, which yep. identifies their liabilities and does uh, cite Genesis or subsidiary uh, as uh, having two loans outstanding um, to them. Second, you're right on the mark. This discount to NAV will match to unrealized losses on DCG's balance sheet. So DCG was purchasing at an average purchase price. This is per 10 Qs. It's a public reporting. You can look at it online. This is not uh, an allegation. This is public reporting from DCG. Their average purchase price of, Grace, of GBTC was $40. Now the GBTC price, last I checked yesterday, was around eight dollars. Do the math; that's like a seventy-five percent unrealized uh, loss. So we, you know, DCG needs that spread to close, and we should be rooting for DCG to close. That's we should root for the Bitcoin price to go up and the spread to close. Why? Because DCG can be a buffer against further contagion. DCGs are real business. They got a profitable business in Grayscale. They got a great business in CoinDesk, although it's much smaller in revenue and earnings. So we want DCG to be able to stomach the losses, kind of eat the loss, and not be a source of uncertainty or further contagion. I have just one other quick question for you. I know we're, we're limited on time here because we're about to run out uh, the hour, uh, but I just wanted to ask you this. Uh, so one of the things that's interesting about this space is what's the what's the potential framework here uh, for a scenario where DCG uh, finds a way uh, to work through this? I know that Ryan Selkis uh, had tweeted out uh, a thread about a, a scenario uh, where DCG could recover. Uh, could you give us just a very short view of how these challenges might be solved? This is a great question. I want to summarize this. The cleanest and fastest path for DCG to get out of this mess is to raise money. They raised money at a $10 billion valuation in November of 2021 from, from first class investors at the peak of the market. Uh, that was a secondary transaction according to reporting, so it didn't add to the balance sheet. However, fortunes have changed. They have to raise money now. If they raise money to cover their liabilities, pay off the Gemini Earn creditors, at least make them whole, and be current on the principal and interest payment. One, ensure they can meet their $575 million liability payable in May to their subsidiary. Two, uh, and third, ensure that Genesis does not uh, go into default. If they can do those things, then Genesis is in good shape. However, it will require a steep discount from that $10 billion valuation. Why? Because there are new loans. You know, when that three hours capital blew up, it tore a hole in the Genesis balance sheet. DCG assumed those liabilities, but that equity loss has to be filled. You cannot paper over losses with structure. You have to refill those equity losses with an, an, an injection of equity capital. That's the cleanest way. It minimizes liability. It what, minimizes what's the gap look issues. like? From what's the gap look like? I there? think it's a, we've seen I, report, 500 million to a billion dollars I've seen reported in Wall Street Journal and elsewhere. At a minimum, it's the size of impairment from the three years capital loss plus FTX loss, right? So that's the one way to look at it. So call it 1.3 billion, assuming you get a recovery in bankruptcy proceeding. That's not a liquid current asset though. And they had 175 million trapped derivatives. Let's call it $2 billion. 
let's call it one and a half to two. Why? Because there's other liabilities that are not yet on the balance sheet. For example, the risks of litigation lawsuits from uh, uh, potentially Gemini Earn, who's being represented by Gemini, and they don't actually have a seat at the table now. Gemini is an agent, uh, you know, trying to represent Gemini Earn, and Gemini Earn has to sign off on all this stuff. So they got to raise gonna, a good amount of money. Yeah, I'm going to pull in Nico now in case he happens to have one and a half to two billion dollars lost in the couch cushions uh, on the sofa behind him. Oh, Ash, I think you would know by now if uh, that was the case. Um, I wish, I wish, I wish. But it's that time of the show, so let's get those horns of blaring and those spotlights swinging because here are my key takeaways for today. First of all, the justice process is working. It may be slow for some, but just a month after FTX collapse, SBF is finally in U.S. custody. Second, with this um, arrest, we might see greater regulation happening at a quicker pace now that everybody realizes the massive hole that exists for regulation regarding these type of companies. And lastly, of course, these are only allegations at this stage. SBF has not been convicted, but the SEC's civil charges contain a huge bombshell that regulators claim FTX was a fraud from day one, which is a very different claim than what we've heard from SBF over the last several months. Those were my takeaways. Any final thoughts from you, Ram, that you wanted to add? So trust all matters in a, trusted, in a trustless world. You got to seek trusted institutions. Who are the most trusted institutions in the land? They're US banks, which is a great irony of this whole thing, right? But the US trust banks are standing strong, they're complying with law, there are segregation of duties that are at work. Uh, so study the regulation, ask who's their regulator, is there public audits, are the third party balances uh, and checks and, and controls. Thank you for that, Rom. Ash, what were your key takeaways from today? Any final thoughts from you? Well, I first would like to agree with Ron because I think he said it very eloquently there. I think that's exactly right. Trust very much matters or an absence of trust very much matters as we found out uh, with FTX. Uh, you know, the reality is we're not yet at a point where decentralized trustless systems are in place. Uh, it, it's something where it's working uh, for crypto natives as, as Ron alluded to, but it's not yet working at scale. Uh, look, th this, is, this is one of those days uh, where it's kind of like going to a parade uh, in June of 1914 and you come back and you say, it's, it's so strange. I think someone got shot. Like, what's the implication of that? Well, the implication is yet to come. And obviously, uh, that's a World War I reference, uh, Archduke Ferdinand. Th that's the kind of moment we're at right now. There are all these different threads. We, we try and pull them together. I'll give you uh, some big picture takeaways. Obviously, this is a huge day uh, for all the obvious reasons, the arrest, the criminal complaint, uh, CFTC, SEC, the congressional testimony, I should say, which I didn't have a chance uh, to point to uh, earlier in the show. There's very clearly a rising partisan rancor uh, around this. If you watch the hearings, it's very clear. Uh, if you cover the names on the screens, you can guess who the Democrats are. You can guess who the Republicans are by their remarks. We've moved into an era of true partisanship. I suppose that shouldn't surprise us. It's 2022. Everything else in the world uh, is politicized. Uh, this is being politicized as well. 
you know, some of the points here, uh, important, I think, to reflect on as we sum up what's happened with FTX. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, you know, the, the using of uh, personal loans uh, to executives, non-segregation of customer funds, uh, the total absence of governance, the total absence of reporting, no board of directors, uh, the SAM coins, so-called, being held on the balance sheet. Uh, all of these allegations, of course, uh, have to uh, come uh, through a, a, a criminal procedure uh, on the DOJ side and civil procedure in court. That's where we'll get uh, the uh, you know attempted refutation by uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's lawyers. Uh, we'll have the government pressing its case. Hopefully, we're going to get a lot more clarity around that. But I think this is just one of those days, Nico, where the whole world is watching the crypto space. It's clearly not a favorable story in the short term, uh, but we really just don't know. I mean, I think as as Ron points out, the the optimistic case here uh, is I think effectively two things begin to happen. Number one, we begin to build in earnest those true trustless systems. You know, whatever the result of these trials, I think it's reasonable to say uh, at this point, at least, that we got caught up in a cult of personality uh, around Sam Bankman-Fried in this space and others, and that we've seen uh, that, you know, truly centralized institutions, especially when they're offshore and unregulated, uh, whether they're in the crypto space or whether they're laundromats, can create these hideous conflicts of interest, can create uh, the appearance, at very least, of malfeasance. Uh, and that is just a, a, the reality of the way centralized institutions work. This is no different, uh, in fact, from the from all that you could go and list uh, the failures, LTCM, BCCI, Enron. We've seen these types of issues before. It's not unique to the crypto space. Uh, so that's that's one component, uh, is building those truly trustless systems and moving away from this highly centralized cult of personality, unregulated environment that we find ourselves in, the worst of all possible worlds in some senses. And simultaneously, I think what we're going to see uh, is increased regulation in the short term. I know that's not something uh, that's going to make a lot of people happy. Uh, and the question is, how do you balance those two things out so that the regulation doesn't kill the promise of the future technology, however long it takes us to get there? Because that is truly the future, something that I believe. I think a lot of people in the space are really passionate about the idea of true, trustless, decentralized technology. It's going to be a bumpy road to get there, Nico, in short. Well, I think that is a perfect place to end it for today. Thank you, Ash, for that. And thank you, Ram. It was an absolute pleasure doing the show with you both today. Looking forward to the next one. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Oh, Thanks, it's Nico. absolutely our pleasure. And uh, I'm excited for the next one with you both. Hopefully it's sooner rather than later. And we maybe have um, a different type of news day to cover that day. Uh, but regardless, that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is free. And for those of you watching on YouTube, if you're not a subscriber yet, please click the button. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other subscribers. Also, just a quick programming note, keep an eye out tonight. We will be doing a Twitter Spaces about this FTX and SBF fallout. And then tomorrow we will be doing a Twitter Spaces with the team behind Hall of Goats and their recent NFT drop around Caleb Williams, the Heisman Trophy winner. So join us again tomorrow where we'll continue this conversation. See you at noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Oh!